Everybody say praise the Lord. You love the Lord, shout amen one more time. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Remain standing for the reading of the word. Feel like the Queen of Sheba, the half has not been told. Hey, we are in Alaska, Yukon. I don't know how to say this. With, I don't want you to be offended when I say this because it's a compliment. It's not the largest district in the United Pentecostal Church. But I've been to bigger districts with less people. I told Brother Parrish today, I've been at one district that's much larger than this, and they did not have as many people in their daytime crowd as you had in your daytime crowd. And I've been to a lot of districts where the worship was not what, what is in this place today. Amen. I want you to turn to a couple of different passages of Scripture. First Timothy chapter number 1, and then we'll go back to Revelation chapter 13. If you get to the maps, you've gone too far. So you'll come... Come back a few pages. If some of you are wondering what this little device is on my lapel, this is has got me linked up directly to Sister Wagner. And so I have a little earpiece in here, and she's telling me what to say. <laughs> she's a very young, gorgeous, beautiful special lady that's that's married to a okay guy okay I think that's what she said to Brother Parrish and the, the great district here and Brother Bradbury thank you for allowing us to be here and I just want to say I'm going to let you stand for a minute because you're not going to want to stand while I'm preaching, so we're going to get all the standing out of the way up front. Um, I want to thank you for allowing us to bring... Uh, our secretaries are a little mad because we didn't bring them, but we brought our, our team with us, Brother Hobson and Brother Armstrong, and their preaching has been phenomenal. <laughs> Top shelf preaching. I'll never forget, I was riding down the road uh, several months ago, and, you know, I mentioned this today, 28, 29 churches give $202,000. If, if the UPC would have given per capita what you gave to Christmas for Christ, our offering would have been $34 million. So I was thinking about that, and I said, what can we do special? And so I, I text Brother Armstrong and Brother Hobson on a little group text, and I said, would you guys want to go to Alaska and be at their camp meeting just kind of as a way of saying thank you? It did not take long. I don't even think they checked their calendar. Somebody got canceled. They were like, yes, yes, we can do that. We can be there. Brother Bradbury and Brother Wagner, it's great to be with you. It's an honor to work with you on our North American Missions Administrative Committee. And then to be with Elder Blackshear, which is just a hero to a lot of people. And, uh, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith. In other words, there's just some things you don't need to listen to. Just don't even pay attention to it. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 15. You, know, you turn to Revelation chapter 13, you get all nervous and scared, you know. I pastored for a very short window Irvin Baxter's old church and part of the contract was that I had to preach from Revelation and so 
my contract runs out at the end of the year, so I just got to get this out tonight. <laughs> Go to the book of Revelation, people get scared. Revelation chapter 13, verse 15, He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. If you've been in church any length of time, you're familiar with that passage of Scripture. And I want to lift out of that, and not scare you, but preach to you for a few minutes on the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. If you'll help me preach, shout amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I think it's evident tonight that I could, could make this statement and not have to worry about any accuracy or truth not being in this statement. We are living in the end times. Things are happening at an unprecedented pace. We have wars and rumors of wars. Earthquakes, famines, disasters. Nation against nation. Diseases, pestilences. The turmoil in the Middle East is well underway. And it's probably going to get a little hotter pretty soon. You can't help but read the newspaper and listen to the news, log on to the Internet, and, and not admit that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled just about every single day. The bad news is we're living in the end times. But the good news is Jesus Christ is soon to return. Amen. And God forbid that we get so caught up with life and luxury that we forget there is still a great promise and a great hope called the rapture of the church. And if you're rapture ready, which means you've been baptized in Jesus' name, repented of your sins, been filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're striving to follow after the Lord, if you're rapture ready, I wish you'd clap your hands and just thank God that truth has been revealed to you. And if you're not ready for the rapture, tonight would be a good night to repent, be baptized, and let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus is coming. And I, I, I got a great group of young people here, and I remember being that age. And you know, you, were, you heard messages about the coming of the Lord, but you're 15 years old. And you're like, don't, don't come now. <laughs> I want to graduate high school. I want to get my license. Can we just get real? I want to get married. Don't, don't come back yet. Now I'm 23 years into marriage, one wife, 
one daughter, one mother-in-law. And I'm like, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This could be the day, the day the trumpet might sound. <laughs> and I know what some of you are thinking, but we've heard stuff like that. We've been hearing that the Lord was coming. Some of you young people are thinking, my parents heard messages like that, and our grandparents heard messages like that, and, and, and obviously he didn't come back yet. But the Bible clearly teaches that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. The Holy Ghost began being poured out on the day of Pentecost, 2,000-something years ago, making the day of Pentecost the beginning of the last days. Well, if the day of Pentecost was the beginning of of the last days. How much further and how much more advanced are we on God's prophetic time clock tonight? And I'm not here to scare you or to intimidate you, but I am here to remind you that Jesus is coming back and we must have the Holy Ghost in our lives if we want to be ready to make the rapture of the church. Young people, I wouldn't let trying to look cool or cute keep me from receiving everything that God has for me. Good saints of God, I would not let worries that's back home keep me from receiving everything that God wants me to receive at camp meeting. I need to leave camp meeting with the Holy Ghost operating in my life because I need to make sure that I am ready for the coming of the Lord. Because we are living in the end times. It's not like it's the fourth quarter. We're in overtime. And the book of Revelation declares that there is coming a antichrist. A man who will dominate, dictate, deceive, and almost destroy the whole world. Now, if you have Republican blood flowing in your veins, then without a doubt, the Antichrist is Bill Clinton or Hillary or <laughs> Bernie or Obama. And if you have, if, if you're a Democrat and you got Democrat blood flowing through your veins, then without a doubt, without a doubt, Donald Trump is. Because at the sound of the last, and and we, and we try to figure out who the Antichrist is. But let's just pause for a minute because regardless of who the man will be, we do know that he will speak with eloquence and with power. He will mesmerize the audience. That disqualifies me. <laughs> he will speak with authority and demonstration. And because of his political power and his prosperous personality, people are going to be driven to him. He will take a world that's in chaos and will bring peace like never before. But the Bible says, when they shall say, peace, peace, Sudden destruction. This man, this anti-Christ, he will work his way into the system, if you will. and It will get to a point to where people will be forced to take a mark, a name, or a number representing this beast or this kingdom. Now, the name of the beast we know not. Really, the mark of the beast we're not sure of, but, but the Bible gives us a little insight that we are familiar with the number of the beast, and it is the number of a man, 600, three score, and six, which is none other than the numbers 
Everybody is familiar with the numbers 666. Even people who don't go to church understand that there's something negative. Now, I don't know how you was raised, but I was raised really poor and really kind of backwards. And, and I remember so many times, my mom was superstitious. She was one of them ladies of a black cat went in front of the road, she's putting X's on the, on the windshield, and she's turning around, and, you know, you couldn't take a broom and spin it in the house like that because you're bringing up the devil and uh, all this craziness. Couldn't open an umbrella in the house. That No, can't do that. And, and uh, you definitely couldn't go to a convenience store and let the total be $6.66. No, no, no. Because we're not paying, somebody's getting an extra candy bar or we're putting something back. But we're not going to inadvertently take, and we're not going to take it with our right, we're going to have to receive that with the left hand because we're going to make sure that we don't take the mark. But before we look too far in the future, let's, let's glimpse back in the rearview mirror and look in the past. Because I believe the devil has always had a mark. And if he can apply this mark that I want to preach about tonight, then he will have no problem applying the mark that John the Revelator wrote about in our text. The mark of the beast I want to preach about tonight is not a number and has nothing to do with the end of the world. It has nothing to do with your forehead or your right hand. But the mark I want to preach about is what Paul warned Timothy against in our text. He said, do away with those things which minister questions. Somebody shout questions. Because if the devil can ever tag you with a question mark, then he can defeat you. If he can ever get you to question your relationship with God, then he will defeat you. If he can ever get you to sit in a corner and begin to question this truth and whether or not God really meant this and he meant that, then he will defeat you. If he could ever get you to begin to question whether or not you can really build a church in that city and whether or not God has really called you to do what you feel like he's called you to do, if you can begin to question that, it won't be long until the devil has a hold of you. If he can ever apply the question mark of doubt to our life, then the mark that will appear in the tribulation will be no problem. The Bible is clear in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. It says that uh, on hell's invitation list here, it says, but the fearful and unbelieving. And it starts naming some other bad things, but he said, the fearful and the unbelieving. The second group of people on hell's invitation list are the unbelievers. I pray to God that when this camp meeting is over and when the lights are turned off and when the dust has settled, that we leave the campgrounds with greater faith, higher hopes, and a more determined vision. I pray you walk out of here with the fresh revelation that you are equipped to do what God has called you to do. We've got churches to plant. We've got Bible studies to teach. We can do what God has called us to do. Somebody shout amen. amen. So I looked up the word question, and Webster defines the word question as doubt or dispute. Subject to analysis to be suspicious of, to wonder about. You ever met somebody that you just kind of questioned a little bit, you know? You didn't know what it was, but just some definition to be cautious of. You're just a little cautious. We live in a world full of questions. You can go home and Go on your computer, and you can even go to a website, www.ask.com. And you can, you can submit these questions and get your answers. America just came through a, a political season that's caused a lot of people to
to ask questions. Look back in the past, we've been involved in different uh, skirmishes around the world that's caused a lot of people to ask questions. You got all this global warming and climate change and other different weather-related incidents that, that causes us to sit around and ask a lot of questions. You got these dingbats in Hollywood that causes me to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Celebrities and you got this, got this homosexual agenda that's being pushed that that causes me to sit back and ask a lot of questions. And so I just want to I I confirm some things tonight. You can, you can question politics, okay? You can, you can question the weather. I get that. And you can, you can question Hollywood. But, but when it comes to the Word of God, and when it comes to the power of God, and when it comes to the moving of the Spirit of God, we don't have time to question this. I want to reassure somebody tonight it's not a time to doubt. It's not a time to question. It's not a time to give up. Alaska Yukon, it's not time to scratch our head in unbelief. Let me remind you, our God can still save. He can still heal. And he can still deliver. And our best days are not behind us. Our best days are still in front of us. I wish somebody clapped their hands right now. Don't you question who you are. That's the mark of the beast. Don't you question your anointing. Don't you question your... Walk out of camp meeting knowing that God has called me. He has touched me. He has helped me. Look at that devil in your city and remind him no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Somebody shout questions. See, the best way, Brother Parrish, that I think a person could describe God is to say that God speaks with exclamation. He is a statement-making God. He speaks with power. His expression is exclamatory. He speaks a promise, and then it's like he puts an exclamation mark behind it just to kind of make it stand out. During the creation of the world, God spoke with power. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and verse 5, and verse 6, verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 14, 20, 22, 24, 26, 29. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 18. It says that God said, God called, or God commanded. Fifteen emphatic expressions that this is the way it is. And this is the way it's going to be. God never asked a question in creation. He never asked if he could do anything. He just did it. He's a statement-making God. Statement after statement after statement. Promise after promise after promise. Until you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And you find a punctuation mark that has up to this time never been used in Scripture before. The devil parades his way into the middle of the paradise and promises of God and begins for the very first time to apply the mark of the beast. Listen to what the Bible says. Brother Armstrong, read a little bit for me. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Oh, I'm sorry. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Keep going. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. All right, look at that. Now, there it is. 
There it is. The first time you see the devil, you see his mark. And the devil questioned what God had already stated as an absolute. Now, we're in a North American district. We're in a home mission district, a church planning district where, you know, you're planning churches, you're building churches. I'm a church planner. I get all that. So let me just clarify this. There's nothing wrong with questions that people ask that lead them to the truth. But I'm talking about the questions that Paul wrote to Timothy about and said, do away with those things which minister. I'm talking about the ones who just produce confusion, doubt, unbelief. You know, questions that have no answers or questions that you don't need an answer to. Like, you know, did Adam have a belly button or not? What did Noah do with the woodpeckers on the boat? I'm not talking about questions of people want to know, what must I do to be saved? I'm talking about the ones who's been in church that's now saying, why must I do that to stay saved? So Eve takes the fruit, not because she's hungry, but because she's confused. She's now tagged with a question mark. The mark of the beast has been exposed in the garden of God. And now she doesn't know who to believe anymore because she's entertained questions. Eve was keeping company with the wrong person. And we say all the time, I don't understand why Eve would talk to a snake. Oh, quit being hypocritical. We've all talked to snakes. People slither up into our lives that's got no business being there. People slither up into our theology that's got no... Let me just be old-fashioned for a few minutes. It does matter who you run around with. It does matter who you allow into your inner circle. It does matter who you follow on social media. Don't you think for one minute that you can hang out with negative people and crazy people and idiotic people who talk about everything in the church and it not affect the way you think and the way you perceive the things of God? I made up my mind. I want to be around people that believe this. I want to rub shoulders with people that love this. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Label me whatever you want to label me. But there's just some people I don't want to be around. I just can't get close to them. I'm not trying to be rude, but I just can't have all that negativity. Trying to get into my relationship with God. I'm not going to let anybody make fun of who we are. I'm not going to let anybody make fun of how we live and how we worship and how we dress and how we can. I don't need that in my life to confuse me. I don't want the mark of the beast. I got in my notes, but I want to be nice. But I got in my notes. If I was at home, I would say right here, God deliver us from stupid friends. It's interesting to me that the first time a question mark is used in Scripture, it has nothing to do with God and everything to do with the devil. And that's how the devil separated Adam and Eve from God. And that's exactly the same way he's trying to separate us from God. Now, I'm, 
I'm weird. I got a twisted brain. I get that. So just follow me for a minute. It didn't take a long conversation for the devil to mess with Eve's mind. And I I just, I've got this weird theology that I don't believe that's the first time she ever talked to that snake. Because the devil never goes for the kill the first time he shows up. When you and that lady catch each other's eyes the first time, you don't go commit adultery. Well, anyhow, let me get back here. Where am I? I don't think it didn't take a long conversation. Listen, this is how my little mind works. I went and counted it. The devil spoke 14 words to her. And she responded with 44 more words back to him. Now, I'm not going to say anything there. Sister Wagner just told me to make sure I didn't say another word right there. <laughs> I'll just say this on a side note because it just crossed my mind. But we sat here and kid about the lady talking too much, but there wasn't a man that said a word. You see how I got out of that? The devil spoke 14 words to her. She responded with 44 words. He closed the conversation with 32 more words. Oh, you're going to open the door? I'm going to talk to you twice as much as I talked to you before. And all it took for her mind to become confused and manipulated was a 90-word conversation. I timed that in my hotel room today. And it took me 24.3 seconds to have that conversation. If the devil can spread so much doubt and unbelief in less than a minute, how much more should our faith leap out of our soul when we hear our pastor say, if you have your Bibles, turn to. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to converse with the devil. I don't have time to work deals and compromise with the enemy of my soul. I want the word. I want the word of God. You ought to be thankful you got a pastor that's preaching the word of God. I'm not trying to score brownie points, but I think we ought to give our pastors a standing ovation for being a voice of truth. When everything else is shaking, thank God for an apostolic preacher that will declare the word of the Lord. Somebody shout amen. So follow this, follow this math equation. Confusion equals compromise. Nobody compromises because they've got the answers. They only compromise when they've got more questions. And that produces confusion. And confusion equals compromise. And here is just a vicious cycle. And compromise equals more confusion. It gets deep. And more confusion equals more compromise. And before you know it, you're doing things you didn't think you would ever do. But it all started with just one question mark. And now those 15 emphatic expressions of hope and promise in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are now done away with with just one question. 
and God comes down to check the situation out. And he sees that his people are no longer in his image. They're hiding. They're naked. They got these little bikini fig leaf things on. And he said, that ain't going to work. Now, in the lower 48, it's around October. But up here, it's probably like around June the 30th. But eventually, leaves are going to fall. And anytime you try to cover up your own sin and your own mistake, it will work for a season. But there's going to come a season where that stuff is just going to. And so God comes down. And God had to do something he's never done before. God had to ask a question. Adam. Where art thou? And it had to it had to hurt God's heart to utter that question. It had to grieve him in his spirit. God had never asked a question before. God just said, let it be. God just laid it out. Adam and Eve believed him. They never doubted him. You listen to me. Unbelief and doubt and questions, they separate us from God and they put God in a role he never intended to be in. Unbelief ties the hand of God. And doubt makes God ask questions. Brother Armstrong, get ready to read again. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. This statement-making God is now in the garden. Adam, where art thou? Let me show you something. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Read it, Brother Armstrong. And the Pharisees came forth. And the Pharisees. Everybody say the Pharisees. Look at your neighbor and say the religious people. All right, keep going. And began to question with him. All right, now who's questioning him? The Pharisees, the religious folk. All right, not the sinners. Go ahead. Seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Oh, here we go. Here we come, questioning God with a bunch of goofy questions. And God just... Keep going. And saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Notice that. They question him. And the very next phrase out of his mouth is a question. Read the first four words of, the, of verse number 13. And he left them. It wasn't the sinner's. It wasn't the people in the Bible study group that was new to church. It wasn't the publicans. It wasn't the prostitutes that questioned him. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious folks that had all these questions. I've been pastoring for 18 years, and most of those 18 years was in a church planning environment. But here's what I've noticed. It's always the religious folk. Why are we having another prayer meeting? Why are we taking another offering? Why are you preaching like that? Why? It's never the new convert. They're just happy to be saved. Look, I didn't get to preach last night. I'm gonna try. We're not going nowhere. Right. We're not going nowhere. I pastored a lady one time. She let me know unequivocally. I don't even know what that word means. I've just been wanting to use it all day. She let me know. I am, I think she said, fifth generation Pentecost. She looked like she couldn't spell Pentecost. And she was constantly griping. Why do we stand so much? Why do we? And I told her, hey, sit down if you want to sit down. 
Ain't nobody out there prodding you. Just sit down if you want to sit down. But that same lady came back from vacation bragging that they had went to Hollywood and that she stood in line for eight hours to get tickets to go watch The Price is Right. You think I had fun with that the next service? Why do we got to stand? Why do you got to go stand eight hours to get tickets for a goofy game show when you can stand in the presence of... Don't you go home from camp meeting questioning and nitpicking everything your pastor's trying to do. Get on board. Yeah, pastor, let's have another prayer meeting. Let's call another fast day. Let's believe that we can do this. I believe it. And the Bible says that after all these questions, that he left them. There's one way to give, there's one sure way to give God a one-way ticket out of here. And that's to entertain questions and be full of doubt and be full of unbelief and to have the mark of the beast in your life. And if that's what repels him, then guess what attracts him? He's attracted to our faith. He is drawn to our expectancy. I just believe tonight could be the night that somebody gets healed. I believe tonight could be the night that somebody gets the Holy Ghost. Tonight could be the night that somebody's prayer gets answered. I want to come to church believing. I want to come to church expecting. I want to come to camp meeting knowing that God is going to meet me in this place. With men, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Don't you walk out of here questioning this. This is our time. This is our season. This is our opportunity. Brother Hobson said it today. God's brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Look at your neighbor and say, don't question this. You may see it because when we begin to question God, God begins to question us. You saw this in Mark chapter 8. They came questioning him. And the very next words out of his mouth was a question. Eve entertained a question. And the very next phrase out of the mouth of God is a question. God tells Sarah, hey, you're going to have a baby in your old barren age. And she went, <laughs> you got jokes. And she questions God. And God answers her with the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The disciples are being tossed to and fro in a boat in a storm, and Jesus is asleep. And one of them goes and questions Jesus. And he said, don't you care that we perish? Jesus did not answer yes or no. Jesus looked at him and said, where is your faith? In Mark chapter 11, verse 28, they asked the question, by what authority? Verse 29, Jesus said, let me ask you a question. You see, when we question God, God questions us. The number one killer of revival in the local church is not sinners, is not saints making mistakes, it's not adultery. It's not more sinners than saint ratio. None of that. Matter of fact, th that's what makes God show up. But the number one killer of revival in our churches is unbelief. In the Old Testament... Twelve spies came back from spying out the land that they were already promised. Which is kind of weird to me anyhow. They didn't have to go and say, can we do it? God already said, you're going to do it. He just said, I want to show you what I'm going to give you. And ten of them came back saying, we can't do this. And two of them said, we can do this. 
And the Bible refers to the report of the ten not as a negative report, not as a reasonable report, or even a realistic report. The Bible refers to their unbelief as an evil. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. I want to submit to you tonight that if unbelief kept them out of their promised land, and if unbelief kicked Adam and Eve out of their promised land, then unbelief can keep us from inheriting what God says we could inherit. And it's evil. You might as well go get drunk and commit adultery than to come to church with unbelief because both of them are evil and both of them are not right and both of them are sinful. Let's get rid of the questions. Let's quit, get rid of doubt and let's start believing the word of God. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. We can do this. You're not up in the frozen tundra somewhere where God has forgotten you. Uh, the devil is a lie. He's given you some promises, and you need to hang on to that. You need to believe God for that. I want to leave camp meeting believing God for bigger churches, bigger revival, bigger buildings. We can do this. Get rid of that unbelief. It's evil. Get rid of that doubt. It's evil. We can do what God has called us to do. If God be for us. Woo. Somebody shout amen. amen. Talking about the mark of the beast. Now, it's, this, this is crazy for me to, for me to even think. Sometimes you start thinking crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think, what's God going to do when all this is over? You know, is he going to do it again? Has he already done it again? How many times has he done it? How long is eternity? And did Adam have a belly button? What about them woodpeckers? I got to figure out them woodpeckers. <laughs> So sometimes I just start thinking crazy stuff, and it, I can't believe I thought it, and I can't believe I'm even going to say it. But God, we know God is all-powerful. He can do anything. I mean, anybody can spit on the ground and put it in a man's eye. That dude can do anything. And turn a spitball into an eyeball. Anything. Water into wine. Anything. Splitting the Red Sea. Anything. He can do anything. with. He can do it with or without my permission. He spoke worlds into existence. He formed and created. He pulled down. He cast down. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. But now here's what I can't believe I'm about to speak. Because I think of this sometimes. As powerful as he is. If we don't want him to move. He won't. If you don't want it, he'll move on. And he left them. Now, let me, let me prove this a little more. Uh, Brother, Brother Armstrong, get ready to read again. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Now, now, here's what I want to do. I want to have a little class participation. They're going to throw this up on the screen. And every time you see the mark of the beast, I want you to let's start counting them, okay? And we're going to start with one. And then we're going to go in that order. Now, I have to be specific with that because when, when I pastored in Kentucky, well, anyhow, let's read, Brother Armstrong. Count every time you see the mark of the beast. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Jose, and of Judah, and of Simon? 
And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Whoa. Four marks of the beast. No wonder it said, and they were offended at him. Because if all you're ever doing is questioning, you're going to get offended. Keep going. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. In just two verses, the mark of the beast appears four times. And instead of doing what he wanted to do, he could only do a fraction because of the mark of the beast. I don't want to leave camp meetings saying he only did a little bit or he only did a fraction or he only touched a few people. I want to pull out of here tomorrow night saying everybody that needed the Holy Ghost got the Holy Ghost. Everybody that needed encouragement got encouraged. Everybody that needed to be healed was healed. I don't want the mark of the beast to be at camp meeting. I want to believe that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Somebody shout yes. So here we go. Here we go. I'm down to my sermon now. That was just my introduction, but I don't have a long sermon. only got like a five-minute sermon, but I had that introduction. I had to get in there. So God speaks with exclamation. The devil speaks with questions. God says, I'm going to save your family. Devil says, they're still on drugs. Are you sure God said that? God says, I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Devil says, I think you just kind of got caught up in the emotion at camp. God says, I'll bless you financially. Your bank account says, have you lost your mind? So here we go. It's God's job to give you a promise. It's the devil's job to question it. It's your job to believe one or the other. Don't get mad at the devil for doing his job. You just stand up and start doing your job and say, I believe that. I believe what God says. I believe what God says. I know it's been 10 years, but I believe what God says. I know my children are still out in the world, but I choose to believe what God says. Whose report will you believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Come here, Yellowtown. Jump up here. Help me preach. Come up here. Help me preach. Yellow towel. What's your name? I'm Zakiah Schroeder. You're who? Zakiah Schroeder. Zakiah? Wait, wait, say it again. Zakiah. 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 It's a Bible name. All right, it's a yellow towel. That's what it is. Get over here, yellow towel. You come over here. What's your name? AJ. AJ. I can I can handle AJ. Isaiah here and AJ. You've been worshiping good all week, so, so I'm going to let you be the devil, all right? So I just want you to hold this up. Drop your notebook there for a minute and, and drop your, yeah, there you go. Just hold that up, and you're going to be the good guy tonight, so you hold that up. Now, I want, you to, I want you to stare at this for a minute. I want you to look at these two marks, an exclamation mark and a question mark. Two totally opposite looks. 
one stands tall, straight, and proud. One's bent, <laughs> twisted, crooked. But uh, hold it up. But now if you really, if you look at it, and if you'll take the time to straighten out the question mark, then it will stand up and look just like an exclamation point. So here's my message. A question mark is nothing more than an exclamation point that's been out of shape. The thing you're doubting tonight is the same thing you used to shout about three years ago. A question mark is nothing more than an exclamation point that's lost its backbone. God gives you a promise and you go home shouting about it and you believe that God's spoken it and then three years go by. And eight years go by. And ten years go by. And the devil gets a hold of that promise. And he begins to pull on it. Twist it. And what you used to shout about, you now doubt about. I don't know if God really did say he was going to save my family. And I don't I don't know, Abraham and Sarah, if God really said he was going to give you a child. Maybe, maybe he meant for us to try. And I know good and well I'm preaching some good people who God's given you some good dreams and good promises. But life has twisted those and longevity where it didn't come to pass. It's twisted and this bad tragedy and that horrific accident and this family leaving and that thing happening and you being laid off here and having to file bankruptcy there and all of a sudden that thing that you used to be so proud of is now bent and twisted. But I got good news for somebody at camp meeting. God is able to straighten out everything that the devil has made crooked in your life. As a matter of fact, that's one reason why Jesus came. Read, Brother Armstrong. Every valley shall be exalted. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the crooked shall be made. And the crooked shall be made. Some of you came to camp meeting and all you could do was just get here and you had doubt and you had unbelief, but God's about to straighten that out. God's about to let faith hit this place tonight. Somebody ought to lift up their voice and give them a shout of praise in this house. denied as I printed out a few exclamation marks and sometime before this service is over somebody needs to take this home and just fold it up and put it in your Bible hang it on your mirror at the house and every time that devil starts trying to sneak in just tell him wait a minute that's the mark of the beast I refuse to let that dominate my life I refuse to let that control my life he can make the crooked things straight Just stay where you are for a second. Stay where you are. We'll, we'll hand those out in a minute. Stay where you are. And, and I got this wonderful thing called paper and ink. I can print more. It's like money. Let me, let me talk to somebody for a minute. Because hell has tormented you. Said you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to do it. And just one after another. And all of a sudden that mark of the beast has just questioned you. I don't know how we're going to be able to buy that building. I don't know how we're going to be able to pay for that. I don't know how we're going to be able to buy those chairs. I don't know how we're going to be able to pay our bills. And before you know it, just... 
When I went and started that church in Lexington, we've been going about a year, and like any church planter, this ain't a feel sorry for me story because this is what all church planters do. We just give it all back. We don't take any money. We just give money. You know, and so I'm trying to make sure the church gets off the ground. It's a Monday morning, and I realize my car note is due on Friday, $279.66. And I realize I didn't have any money, and I didn't have anywhere to go preach. And I did this long intercession prayer like this. Lord, I need you to help me pay my car note by Friday. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that I would go to the mailbox and, and Alaska Yukon District would have mailed me a $279.66. That's what I thought. Somebody was going to mail me some money. That's what I thought. What I didn't know is an hour and a half later, I'd be riding down the road toward downtown Lexington. Two lanes of traffic going this way. Two lanes coming out. 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. Just cool enough that there's some frost on the ground. I got a man in the church with me. I dropped my daughter off at school, heading downtown. Got a man in the church with me. And I spy with my little eye. I'm in the middle of two-lane traffic. I don't mean a red light in sight. I mean traffic zooming by. And I said, Brother Ortiz, I think I just saw a $100 bill in the median. Well, people that didn't need money would make a block. But not the church planner that needs to pay a car note. I stop in the middle of the road, throw the car in park, put the flashers on. I run up to the median. And sure enough, there was a $100 bill that had just enough frost on it that it wasn't blowing when the cars went by. And I reached down. I picked up that $100 bill. I put it in my pocket. When I went to take a step, there was another $100 bill. And I picked it up. And I looked, and there was a third $100 bill. And now I'm telling the traffic, go on by. They're biting today. We're going to fish this hole a little bit. And I picked up a fourth $100 bill, and a fifth $100 bill, and a sixth $100 bill, and a seventh $100 bill. And an eight $100 bill, and a 50, and like four 20s. I don't know which drug deal went bad, but $930 was waiting for me. Don't you walk out of here with unbelief? If God can feed Elijah with a raven, if I can find money on a street, he is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Remain standing. Where, where's it at? You got it? Where's it? Right here. So where God puts an exclamation mark, don't you dare let the devil put a question mark. My mom used to tell me when I was doing, when I was doing goofy stuff I shouldn't do, my mom would say something like this, because when she was really mad, well, I was the baby of six. And so if she was really mad, she'd get all flustered. And I knew she was talking to me, but I'd wait on her to go through the whole list. <laughs> Robert, David, Susan, Faith, Floyd, Jimmy. Oh, you talking to me? But when she was really mad, she'd throw my middle name in there. Jimmy Dion. Don't be laughing at my middle name now. Don't do that. That's what my mom and daddy gave me. Don't do that. Jimmy Dion, this is what she'd say. You better straighten up. Alaska, Yukon, you better straighten up. Saint of God, straighten up. He's able. He's able. He's able. The very first murder in Scripture was when Cain killed Abel. When Cain killed Abel. The devil's been trying to kill our Abel ever since. But you need to understand, he's able. I believe he can heal me. He's able. 
I believe we can build that church. He's able. Don't you let the mark of the beast destroy your life. He is able. All right, one more and I'm sitting down. Luke 13 and 16 tells us of a woman who was bound by the devil. The Bible says she had a disease. Uh, Read there, Luke 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Hold on. This was not a physical problem. Luke was a doctor. If it was a physical problem, Luke could have wrote her a prescription. This was a spiritual problem. And she had it for 18 years. But she didn't always have it. Keep going. And was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. For 18 years, she had come to church like this. Bowed over a spirit and could in no wise lift herself up. Keep going. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Keep going. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And immediately, for 18 years, she came to church. But when Jesus saw her, He called her, and immediately, I don't know how long you've been fighting that doubt and unbelief, but Jesus is seeing you, and he is calling you, and you can walk out of here. If you want to believe God again, I want you to come to this front. If you want to get rid of the mark of the beast, I want you to come to this front. If you want to believe God for something supernatural, I want you to come to this front and believe that his word is sure. He will do it. Don't you let the devil bend that out of shape. Don't you let the enemy twist that thought in your mind. God will use you. God will help you. God will let this district grow. God will let this district double. I rebuke every bit of doubt and unbelief in this place right now. I rebuke the mark of the beast. Let a fresh wave of faith hit this campground right now, God. Let us believe that you are able. You're able. Get rid of that question. Get rid of that doubt. Get rid of that unbelief. He's able. He can heal you tonight. He can deliver you tonight. He can speak a word into your situation tonight.